Durante, Italian, Morton, Marissa, Betrayal at House on the Hill. Bonanza, show manager, corporate America, spike for 10 minutes to kill. With some wages, dumb moon, lots of Vegas, time story, so run into Vega Fungi. Pause Fever Sabbath. Hello and welcome to Board of Games, the podcast where we talk about all of your, our favorite games to play on a table. My name is Lachlan Albert, and I'm joined, as always, by Jeff Setti. Jeff, how you doing, mate? I'm really well. I met you over the weekend, and it was absolutely delightful. I am still buzzing. That's right. We finally met in person. We got to play a couple of games. I am so excited to talk about it. So, look, I'll, I'll touch base quickly on what this episode is going to be, and then we can brag about how nice it was to hang out together because it was an absolute delight so over the weekend if you follow us uh on the other podcast we do that's wrestle radio australia where jeff and i make making chicken salad we talk about all kind of stuff wrestling uh around the world and especially here in australia and with a big wrestling event in canberra over the weekend jeff made the the trip up i made the flight down and we got to meet up and play some board games in Canberra. We're going to talk about the games we played. Then we're going to discuss a little bit about some older games we discovered this year. We're going to touch base on Kickstarter. But then the main event of this podcast, the reason that we're here is it is the conclusion of 2023. This is our last board of games for 2023. So we are going to talk about our favorite games of the year. So through the podcast, I'm going to look at the six that I've got saved on my side of the screen and work out which one I have to cut to get down to that final five. It's going to be an on-the-fly decision because it is so tight this year. I should add in, since we last did Board of Games, uh, I went off to the Board Game Getaway, uh, which has a unique thing. Uh, Let me just show you. Uh, You see this is a little QR code uh doohickey uh i think that's scanning uh it's nice and there. blurry yes yeah it is a bit blurry uh well it, well it can't there yeah there it is a little bit um but it, it's a it's a board game weekend where you scan and then they put uh all the names on a computer generated wheel and uh whoever's name comes up wins that game i won okay. two i won Brilliant. two one is the excellent tyrants of the underdark which is a lovely game great game and the other one is one of my top five of the year. So there you go. So Brilliant. I just wanted to mention that. And hi to Matt and everyone at, uh, at Board Game Getaway. I was lucky enough to meet uh, Maggie and Amy from Thinkathema and uh, spend some time with them. And they're just delightful. I'll talk really quickly about Tyrants of the Underdark while that's been given a mention. Um, yeah. I love Tyrants of the Underdark, Dungeons and Dragons themed board game that uses uh, area majority as the kind mm. of board goal as a way to make a deck building game uh, function. I love when deck builders take on something else. Something we've seen a lot this year is deck builders that are also worker placement games, right? Or I say Mm. this, I mean, probably last year was where that was the big one uh, with games like Lost Ruins of Arnak and um, that other brilliant game, Dune Imperium, uh, both using deck building to determine where you could assign workers on a board and that kind of thing. So the idea of having a board game attached to deck building as a mechanism to use is something I adore. And Tyrants of the Underdark does such a good job of it, especially with that Dungeons and Dragons theme. Yeah, it's excellent. It came out all the way back in 2017. And uh, I actually played it at a board game barbecue day. 
uh, and immediately went, wow, this is good. It's actually my first exposure to Dungeons and or Dragonings, uh, believe it or not. And I really liked it. I really, really had fun playing it. So now I'm kind of, uh, I was pretty happy to win that one. And as I said, the other one is actually one of my top five games of the year. Because it um, sounds, sounds like, Jeff, maybe we need to do some dungeoning and dragoning together. Seems like it would be right up your alley. Maybe that's something we could potentially uh, record some bits of and post up here for the podcast if people are interested. I think that would be fun myself. I mean, that sounds like a delight. This has been this podcast has been a little bit sporadic, so uh, we're going to try and do it fortnightly from February. Yeah, so that's get... something worth mentioning. This is our kind of year in review finale episode. So coming back in twenty twenty three, oh sorry, twenty twenty four. Yeah, 2024, our aim is to have fortnightly Wednesdays as a regular time slot. So if you've been keeping up where we are, uh, 7 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time during Daylight Savings, that's 8.30 p.m. Uh, daylight Savings Time, happening on Wednesdays fortnightly. So you'll be able to keep up and uh, get a regular dose of board of games into you. That's what we want to do. So with that all said, our regular way that we go about this is we talk about uh, a game that's fairly new and then a game that's a little bit older that we've been exposed to. And just by coincidence, that's exactly what we played when we met up, Jeff, isn't it? Yes, yes, we played uh, Horrified, which I really enjoyed. So let's keep to our kind of regular scheduled programming and talk about our newer game first and then our older game second. The newer game we played is something that I finally got to enjoy after hearing Jeff rave about it for so, so long. And that is what I assume is going to be one of Jeff's games of the year. Oop, just hide that for a moment. That's my uh, PowerPoint playing up a little bit. But the game that we finally got to play was, Jeff, do you want to take away the quote-unquote title? <coughs> Space Space Beast. Yeah. Space Beast. Yes, we played Apiary. Uh, this is something that has been mentioned on the podcast a couple of times now, a newer game from Stonemeyer Games that uh, takes the theme of bees in space and does some really clever worker placement things, essentially uh, having all of your workers start at one or two power. And then you are able to place your workers on any position, even positions that are currently occupied by other players' workers. The twist there being that if you take a space that another player's worker is on, they get to then retrieve that worker and level them up, making them more powerful for the next time they're placed. Uh, with some really interesting uses of that mechanic, where it might be... Uh, there's a little uh, queen bee ship that you can move around some tiles and the number of spaces you can move is determined by the power of worker you place there. Or you could be grabbing some new hexes to put on your board to give you additional resource storage or additional abilities or one-time bonuses. And the options that you have for purchasing those tiles are determined by the strength of the worker you place there. Or you might want to convert goods and the number of, you might want to convert resources, I should say. The number of resources you can convert is determined by, what's that? The level of worker that you place there. It's a brilliant use of this one foundational mechanic that then takes place all the way along the game. 
The twist then is the workers go up to level four, and then if they level up from there, they go into hibernation. You lose that worker, and you get to nab one big bonus from then go going into hibernation. Which means that the game has a really incredible flow where you start fairly weak, and then you get more and more powerful, and then you've got a bunch of level three and level four Bs, and then they all go into hibernation, and you're down to having those couple of low-level Bs again, and then you build up and build up and build up, and then you fall down again. I loved that arc. Um, obviously, Jeff has spoken about enjoying this game a lot, and he absolutely was not wrong. Um, you may hear about this game more later in the episode, I've got a feeling. Uh, so keep that in mind, that we might be able to go into this a little bit deeper. And if you've got any questions, you can ask them here at twitch.tv slash podcast. Jeff, this was a delight playing this with you. Uh, it's, um, it's what I call a smiley game. And, and, and by that, I mean, it gives you the same feeling as Flamecraft. It gives you the same feeling as one of my other top games of the year. It just makes you happy to play. Sure, <laughs> the, the actual idea behind the game is quite troubling, but <laughs> it, it's, it's such a lovely game and such a fun game. And it's, it's, as always, it's got that Stonemaier shine to it. Stonemaier really, really put a lot of shine in their games, and it's kind of nice. It sounds uh, it. silly to point out that this game is well-produced, being a Stonemaier game. Like, of course mm. it's well-produced. Stonemaier did it. You know what I mean? But, yeah, like, a, a lovely production on it. It's going to look so good painted, I'll tell you that. Oh, the the, the Queen Bee, yeah. Well, as I mentioned to you, my friend Aiden, hi Aiden, uh, asked me to paint it the night before he headed it off to Thailand for a month, and I'm like, no, <laughs> you're not taking my Queen Bee. But that's uh, like you... one of my other other favourite things is those worker meeples, those little bees are beautifully sculpted, but they also come mm. pre-washed. You've got some really nice like visual depth to them by coming with a wash on them. Yeah, yeah. I like that they look a bit grimy. I like that yes. they look like they've been in space already. Exactly. Uh, no, I love it. I love it. It's it's a game that I'm I'm I've played it about seven or eight times already uh, since getting it in October, and I have friends of mine who go, who uh, you know, I've got some friends outside of my gaming group like Ray and Tim who go, oh, what are we playing? And I'm like, right, I'm bringing space bees. It's like <laughs> it's just that thing. When you were when you were going to Canberra and I was driving up, um, what did I say? I'll bring space bees immediately. Yep. And uh, the good news was that for my birthday, uh, my lovely partner got me a copy of Space Bees, and uh, I, I am so glad that I own it, because it's going to get a lot of plays. Uh, uh, not anymore. She she gave me a second copy. She said, Hey, wait! <laughs> now, Jeff, uh, I managed to introduce you to a game I previously talked about on the podcast while we were down in Canberra. Yeah, this was delightful. This was horrified. Uh, which is basically a tribute to the uh, the universal horror villains of the uh, 30s through the 50s. Um, and we played slightly advanced because we played with three monsters instead of two. Uh, the mummy was a bit of a trick. But it's a cooperative game, not completely dissimilar to Pandemic, uh, in that there are locations and people to save. And as you save them, you get extra buffs and more power. Uh, I really, really enjoyed this. It's not the longest game. It was about an hour and 15, including Teach, yep. uh, which most like, uh, like Apiary was only about two hours, but we paused for lunch and, and had a great old day. But I, I really enjoyed it. And again, this. I'll say an hour and a 15, an hour and 15, including Teach and playing on a more advanced difficulty with three monsters. Yeah. Yeah. Which we, we managed to defeat them all. Um, I, I really, really like this. 
It's silly. It's fun. It works well. I'm, I'm sure it scales quite well with how many does it scale up to? Five? Goes up to five. Yeah. So I'm sure it scales brilliantly, uh, both up and down. Uh, and I really enjoyed uh, the differences between the villains. So you're not just fighting one type of monster with the same repeated ability. No, no, no. All three monsters, all all of the monsters within this box have different abilities, which give it a lot of replayability because sometimes you're going to play with one monster, not another, put a third one in. And, of course, Frankenstein and his wife uh, and the bride offer a bit of a challenge. So I'm I'm really, really happy that, that I got to play this and I thought it was a terrific game. Yeah, again, I've talked about it before and I love how simple it is for a game that can still be challenging, still evoke a lot of the emotions that a game like Pandemic does while being a little bit goofy, mm. a little bit silly. And I think fairly simple as well is one of the things I like about it. I don't think it's nearly as, you know, I think it's easier to teach than a game like Pandemic, right? Oh, sure. Your, your actions sure. are move, pick up tokens, do a thing that something says. Like those yeah. are the actions. And it's yeah. take your actions and then flip a card and do what the card says next player's turn and it absolutely works it really it works it's brilliant um so something that i will point out is that this game can be a little bit expensive so this is a discussion we had it was actually on sale where we were playing but was a hundred dollars and i don't think it's a hundred dollar game i think that you want to be on the lookout for this around that 60 dollar mark but also worth noting that this game system has since grown now the games don't integrate they are each independent games, and if you've got one, that's it. That's the full experience you're getting from that game. You can't mix and match it with the other stuff. But like we said, there's six different monsters that you can pull out in the base box, um, and that's that base game, Horrified. There's now also uh, Horrified American Monsters, which has uh, all cryptids from the US, so things like Wolfman and the Jackalope and Mothman that you can fight off. And I'm not sure if it has come out or is coming out, but there is an unmatched, I believe it's called Greek Mythology, uh, sorry, Horrified Greek Mythology, which has Ooh. you fight off Medusa and the Cyclops and those kind of characters. Lovely. So worth keeping an eye out. If you can get a solid price on one of those, I would be jumping at it because they are absolutely delightful. You see, I find that rather amusing because the rest of the prices in that shop were on par with yes. pretty much your gameologies and all your other, you know, major shop, major gaming uh, places uh, to the point where I picked up a I'll, couple of things, including something I'm going to talk about later. I'll say that Horrified as a game, this is something that I point out specifically because it's true of the game itself not just that place um i know that originally it was a target exclusive in the u.s i believe um Uh i managed to get it through a board game geek secret santa which was really lucky because it can be a bit of a pricey game to get a hold of. Uh, It's from, like, 2019. I think currently in Australia, the cheapest places to have it on the shelf are at about $70 for it. So I'm not saying that it's necessarily a game to jump on for the price you're going to see it, and I think it's even worse for some of those... uh, the newer ones, like I believe American Monsters, Milsom's has it for 83. So when we're talking about a Milsom's price being that high, it's it's not, 
you know, the place offering the prices that is making it that price. It's specifically what's going on with that game. So keep an eye on it. Um, yeah. 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 I think it's um, like I'm looking through the, the prices now and it, it unlike other uh, other board games, the, the, the price discrepancy is huge from yes. place to place. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's a 60 to maybe 70, no more. Yeah, and I think you can currently get it for 70 at a couple of places in Australia, but I would uh, make sure that you are really assessing what you want out of a co-op game because this is a mm. fairly breezy co-op. Um, I think it's a really great game that does exactly what it sets out to do, but I want I don't want people feeling... Uh, disappointed for what the game is for the price they paid. I, I definitely say, recommend playing it if you, you get say, a chance. You say it's breezy, but had things gone the other way... Oh, we could have gotten decimated in that. There was a couple of moments where we rolled the dice and we went, we could lose on this dice roll. This yeah. die roll could be the end of us. Yeah. Um, I think it's breezy, like, complexity-wise, but the difficulty is definitely there. Oh, yeah. Right? The difficulty... Like, Go on, sorry. I, I was just going to say, it's not Spirit Island, right? No. This is it's it's very much the other end of the spectrum when it comes to co-ops. Um, oh yeah. So that's more what I was getting at. Now, I really quickly want to talk about Kickstarter. Normally, when we do an episode here, we like to do a bit of a Kickstarter roundup, see what's on crowdfunding at the moment. Being towards the end of the year, not a lot of Kickstarters are running at the moment because they're aware that sometimes uh, the holiday budgets can get in the way of people. Um, yeah, exactly. So, it and especially when we're going to talk about five games each for our end of year list, we've got a lot to cover. But I did want to note something that is on Kickstarter. Uh, there is about 30 hours left to go on it right now. So this is just kind of a PSA for anyone to jump on if this is something they're interested in. Paladin Sleeves are doing their final Kickstarter season. This is season eight of their sleeve Kickstarters. I've been part of these Kickstarters previously. Uh, basically, if you would like to sleeve up a bunch of your games, this is one of the best value ways to do it. Paladin card sleeves are, I, I don't think they are like the greatest card sleeves ever made or anything. My sleeve of choice will still always be Dragon Shield, but I think Paladin, when it comes to clear bulk board game sleeves, offer some of the best on the market. They're, they've got a really nice thickness to them. Um, and buying them in bulk through this Kickstarter offers some really good prices. I believe that if you get the the 100 pack offer, the standard sizes come out to about 1 euro per pack, which is like really good value and you can just get a huge bunch of sleeves in one big hit. They offer a ton of sizes. There is an app where you can type in what game you want to sleeve, and it will tell you how many packs of which sizes of sleeves you need. You can just download hmm. that app, go, oh, I need to sleeve apiary. And it'll tell you you need this many of this sleeve, this many of this sleeve, this many of this sleeve. You're good to go. Um, the way it works, you're back on Kickstarter. They send out the uh, the survey later, the backer kit. And from there, you pick which sizes you want in which quantities. And then they lock that in from there. So this isn't a game. This is a kind of a public service announcement of a Kickstarter that I've previously enjoyed. This is, again, Paladin Card Protection Season 8. If you're looking to do bulk sleeves, this is something I can recommend to get your game sleeved 
at a good price. So wanted to put that out there. If you're listening live, you've got your chance to jump on it now. If you're listening to the podcast version of this, which you can get on the podcast server of your choice, jump on it quick. Because if you, if it's the day after this went live, you've got a chance. But other than that, it might be done for the Paladin Kickstarters full stop. Ooh, so Yeah, I'm just having a look through. I mean, that's pretty good value, really. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I know some I'll people aren't card sleevers. This is one that I'm actually getting for my Marvel Champions collection. We are going to completely sleeve my Marvel Champions collection. I've got a lot of cards. We're just going to get clear yeah. sleeves and we're going to put them in. And that's going to be a great value way to do it. I am, but it depends on the game. Um, I, I obviously recently, speaking of backing things, uh, the Nemesis, Nemesis Retaliation, I think, let me just find it, please, Lachlan. I won't be a moment. Oh, and again, I still have not had the chance to play Nemesis, so that is going to be on my list. And we do get these opportunities to talk about games that the other person has put us onto. I know that Nemesis is going to be a big one for me to finally get my little dirty hands on, and I am very excited to do so. But while we're talking about crowdfunding, I will also hint that right in that final stretch of the year, a game arrived at my house. I was able to give it to my partner for Christmas where we had our little early Christmas and it is on my top games of 2023 list. So a uh, little, and it's one you might not have heard of as well. So, Okay. The, the, uh, the, the Nemesis Retaliation is funded. It has raised Australian dollars, 18 million $86,620. That is <laughs> a crazy amount of money for a board game. That is unseemly. Now, for that, I've gotten the sleeves for lockdown and um, and and retaliation as well as the neoprene mats. You know how much I love Nemesis. So, you know, no doubt that I got it. It wasn't a game that was practical to play on Saturday. Otherwise, I would have taken it up. But it's five hours. Oh, yeah. yeah including no, a teach. It just... I just unless you unless you're unlucky, you're o- and you're over in an hour, yeah. or you're very lucky you're over in an hour. There you yeah, go. Absolutely. Um, I'd also like to mention um, some of my Kickstarters are on the way very very soon. Um, I know Harrow County is arriving tomorrow, and the, uh, the the tenth anniversary Firefly is on its way soon in a huge box. I don't know if you've been following the size of that box. It is enormous. I think I'll curl up and sleep in there on the first night it arrives. Uh, I've got um, some friends who got a custom box made to store all their Firefly stuff, just that they've like accrued over the life of the game. And that is scary big. I can't imagine what an anniversary edition would be. It's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. I think it's going to weigh around 20 kilos. I think it's going to be that big. Scary Um, stuff. Uh, so let's um, let's quickly, what were we going to do? Talk about our favourite older games that we discovered this year. Yeah, did you want to jump on that first, Jeff? Sure. I mean, I've already mentioned that I, I found Torrents of the Underdark this year, which I absolutely adore. That's from 2017. As we said, area control as a deck builder uh, and area domination. So the more you've got, sometimes you can win just by having strategically placed spies around the place. It is yeah. that kind of game where the strategy changes every turn. And I absolutely love it because you it's a, another game you play with good humour. You're not playing it and being curmudgeonly about it. No, 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 you're enjoying it. You're enjoying yourself. And I love that. How about yourself, Lachlan? What's, a, what's an older game that you've really enjoyed? I got back into, and this is going to be a weird pull, 
There's a game called Dungeon of Mandom, and I originally played it as Dungeon of Mandom, but it's now known as Welcome to the Dungeon. So this is just a tiny little game that I played ages ago and then got back into it this year, and what a delight it is. It's a little push-your-luck game. Basically, you have a hero, and there's a deck of monster cards. Your hero has a bunch of equipment. Basically, it starts with the dungeon empty and your hero having a bunch of hit points and some equipment that'll kill certain monsters. You go around the table Mm. and on your turn, a player has a couple of options. First off, they can go, no, I'm out. Or they can look at a card. After looking at that card, they either put that monster in the dungeon or leave it out of the dungeon, but remove a piece of equipment from the hero. And this goes around and slowly the dungeon gets more dangerous. There's more monsters. There's less equipment on the hero. People start going, ooh, I don't think it's safe to go in there. I'm going to back out. Until there's one player left and they have to go into the dungeon with whatever equipment they have left. Such ooh. a clever little push your luck oh, game. Boy. Really, really simple. And it'll be things like there's a sword that kills vampires, which are the number four monster. And you draw yeah. that number four and you're like, hmm. Do I want to make this really dangerous? I could put this in the dungeon and I could take out that num. I could, you know, put this in the dungeon knowing that that number four sword's going to kill it. Or I can take it out and take out that sword and the dungeon hasn't gotten any more dangerous, but no one else knows that. Or I can put it in, take out some health points and then wait for it to go around and then back out because I know the vampire's in there. Really clever little game that I, I that really fun. recommend. That uh, do you have fun. another one that you want to mention, Jeff? Yeah, I've got two more I'd like to mention. Right. The second one, of course, and and I I do love this game. So it recently got reprinted as Archaeos Society, but Ethnos, yeah. Ethnos from two thousand and eighteen is ju- uh, seventeen. Sorry, is just lovely. It's a breezy play. Again, it has a similarity to Underdark in that Tyrants of the Underdark, in that it's a deck builder with some area control, but each round. Whoever's in charge of that area and whoever dominates that area gets more points. It's a fun game to play. Uh, we played it for a few weeks in a row with my uh, with my gaming group, and we all love it. Like it's that kind of game that you just go, "This is this is just lovely." Different uh, creatures give you different mechanics and different ways to play. And uh, yeah, I I just really enjoyed this game, and it's the kind of game that you play and you think about and enjoy and. You, you don't need to overthink it. It's pretty It's pretty straightforward. Do you Excellent. have another one? one old, yeah, one I'll mention is Baron Park. Now, I had played Baron Park many years ago, and for some reason my partner remembered not enjoying it. I think it had to do with the teach that we got for the game not being really clear. Um, so the result was that we both had a memory of not enjoying Baron Park. And then I went, you know what? It's Phil Walker-Harding. It's a polyomino game. Um, I'll... I'll Give it another whirl. This Mm. game rules. It's a Mm. really, really simple use polyominoes to fill up your area. Based on what you cover up with polyominoes, you get other stuff. It's so simple. You put a tile from your supply onto your board. If you've got no tiles, you grab a new one. Whatever you cover up, you get some new tiles. Done. Bing, bang, boom. Try to leave certain things exposed. Try to cover up other things. Try to race to get certain bonuses. What a great game. B-A-R-E-N Park. Baron Park. Uh, hmm. It's a, uh, the, the theme of the game is that you're building a bear zoo. So it's oh, a zoo almost... that has brown bears and polar bears and red pandas and just bears. Zoo full of bears. It's great. And have you got oh, another one there, Jeff? I've just got one more. 
Uh, and this I got to play at the board game getaway on the very last day, and that is Western Legends. It's rare that you can think of a game being a sandbox board game, but this is. You basically take the role of a legend. You can be a good guy or a bad guy, a good person or a bad person, and uh, you go around and accrue points, and how you accrue that points is different every game. Uh, you can almost work with people, but yet you still have to be the one to win. Uh, I really enjoyed playing this game. It's silly. It's fun. It's got a nice rhythm to it. And, um, yeah, uh, Western Legends just won me over completely uh, to the point where I got back from uh, the BorderCon and someone said, oh, I'm, I'm selling my complete Western Legends collections for X amount of dollars. Does anyone want it? I jumped straight on it and picked it up that week. I still haven't gotten it to the table for a second time, but I so enjoyed it, and, and it's a lovely game. And I'm also going to mention Kitchen Rush. Now, this one is reminiscent of if you've played the video game, let's see if I can remember what the video game is called, uh, Overcooked, where you're trying to run around a restaurant assembling meals as quickly as you can. This is the board game version of that. Each player has a couple of sand timers that they use to go out and do actions by flipping the sand timer, and then they can put it somewhere else once that timer is complete. And just to mess with things, one timer is slightly faster than the other one, just mm. to keep you on your toes. And so you'll have to go over and flip a sand timer to take new orders, and then you'll flip a sand timer to get some ingredients out of the out of the uh, storeroom and into the kitchen, and then you'll flip to cook the meal a little bit. And it's a co-op game where everyone is playing this at the same time, just getting in each other's way, trying to knock <laughs> each other's hands out of the way, putting these little wooden vegetables and meats on your cards to assemble meals. Um, a real delight of a co-op real-time game that feels really chaotic, but does a great job of introducing a lot of the elements in a campaign style. So at level one, you just play a really basic version. Take an order, cook an order, bam, we get through it. And then it introduces the elements in a way where if you're playing with a new player, like if I was playing with you, Jeff, I'd go, let's jump into level three. You'll get what's going on. And then we can add on from there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really cleverly done. And uh, I will say I have not played the full ver the full game of it yet because everyone's always too stressed by the time we start getting towards the end. And they're like, no, that's it. More on another day, I'm done. Uh, but it sounds a little bit like is... kites. It sounds a little yes. bit like kites. Really. Yes. Ultimately. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah. big ups sounds to fun. Kitchen Rush there. Now, All right. main event time. Yeah. Jeff, 2023 has been a big year. There's been a lot of good board games. God. Let's talk about our favourites from the... Well, it, it was hard to narrow it down to five. I mean, we, we kind of agreed on five. Uh, an honourable mention to Morpho, which is a lovely little small box game where you... It's a hidden roll small box game where you're moving cards around and you've got to try and keep track of who's got the card that you had five minutes ago and things like that because you can either slide a card in the centre or shoot somebody. That's your choices. Shoot. Can shoot I do character. two honourable mentions before you start as well? Yeah. So there's, there is reasons that I chose not to talk about each of these. The first one is uh, all of the Unmatched stuff that's come out this year. I love yeah. Unmatched as a game system. And the game that I think definitely would have cracked into my top five had I been able to get a copy of it this year would be mm -hmm. Unmatched Adventures, which makes Unmatched a co-op game. But 
is fully modular with that. So you buy Unmatched Adventures, it's got four new heroes and two co-op villains. And from then on, that works as like a four-character copy of Unmatched, where you can play them against each other. But also now, any Unmatched character from any Unmatched game can be brought on to fight aliens or fight against, I can't, I think it might be Mothman is the other, (laughs) like, and just have a crazy co-op adventure. I would have put that, I'm sure, if I'd played it. But the stuff Unmatched has come out with this year, all of their Marvel crossover stuff that came out this year, uh, the Jurassic Park T-Rex came out this year, really cool Mm. sets for a game that I really enjoy. So not necessarily the new stuff that I've had a chance to play, but just new content for an existing game that was so good it would make my list. Another one that I haven't technically been able to physically play because you can't get it in Australia yet. We're talking about, I think, Q3 next year is the official Australian release of a new trading card game, and that is Disney Lorcana. Now, Lorcana is kind of Disney's answer to Magic the Gathering or Yu-Gi-Oh! or Flesh and Blood or whatever trading card game you play. It's got the mm. high rarity chase collector, blah, 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 blah. But really straightforward, it's a game where you have your cards, you play out characters, and then some of them, you can exhaust them to get victory points. First to 20 wins, but also you can play cards that mess with your opponent. You can use your characters to attack your opponent's characters and etc. etc. I have played it online, so I have gotten some plays in of it, and it is an absolute blast. I have a friend bringing some physical starter decks back from Europe, which I am so so grateful for because i cannot wait to play this game in person but that's an honorable mention and a game to look out for in 2024 when it does hit the land down under is disney lorcana the trading card i just want to check one more thing uh i don't think this is a uh this is a 2023 game uh, which I, I really no, it's 2021 uh, and that is the crew mission deep sea i sunk a lot of hours into that game oh what friends. a cracker and it's a great game. Um, all right, so I'll start with my number five, shall I, Lachlan? Please do. My number five was the other game I won at the board game Getaway, which is Inside Job, which came out late 2022. But uh, because it did, I think we can uh, we can just put it over the line. It is a card game, uh, which is a card trick-taking social deduction game. One of you is uh is is hijacking the missions and you need to try and work out who uh the uh, the good team needs nine uh tricks between them the evildoer needs five to themselves and then if the game is at a stalemate uh, around the table you point to one person and if it's the uh, if it's the criminal they lose if everyone points to a good team, the criminal wins. It's that easy. But there's also extra cards and extra roles that make it more complex and scale it up. It is a little bit like Blood on the Clock Tower, the card game, which, you know, <laughs> I'm obviously going to love that. But, yeah, Inside Job, it's just delightful. It's the kind of thing you play, much like uh, much like Scout, you play four or five in a sitting and, and, and completely smile and laugh at it. Excellent. Um, my number five, so Inside Job looks really exciting. I really want to give that one a go. My number five for the year was a big surprise to me because I thought it looked pretty bad. I, I thought that, I shouldn't say pretty bad. I thought it looked totally mediocre 
everything was in place for this to be a game that could get a lot of copies sold on an okay game. But the game's actually great. This is Star Wars the deck building game. <laughs> now, to me, the fact that it was called Star Wars Star Wars the deck building game meant that, oh, okay, they haven't put a whole lot of thought into this, right? They've made a deck building game. They've slapped the Star Wars license on it. They've put it out to make some money. Good on Fantasy Flight. Um, use that license. Make some dollars. Good for you. And then I played it. So this is a two-player only deck building game. So very reminiscent of Star Realms for anyone who's played that. But in playing this, one of you plays the Empire and one of you plays the Rebel Alliance. There are a bunch of cards that are neutral. So for example, any bounty hunters, either side can recruit them. But most of the cards can only be recruited by their appropriate thematic side. Now, I know this means nothing to you, Jeff. You're not a Star Wars guy. But no. for example, Luke Skywalker can only be on the Rebels. Darth Vader can only be in the Empire, right? It would not make sense for someone to have Luke and Darth Vader in the same hand. So you just can't. But then you're like, well, how does that balance? Well, each card also has some upside down text on the bottom, which tells the other player how to destroy it instead of purchasing oh, it, which gives nice. them a bonus, right? So if Luke Skywalker comes out available to be bought and I'm the Empire, obviously I can't buy Luke Skywalker, but I could pay into it, blow him up so that the Rebels can't have him and get a big bonus out of that. I think that is such a clever piece of game design. This game will obviously have a boatload of expansions. I was really shocked by this game not just being passable, but being really, really enjoyable. Uh, a big thumbs up from me for Star Wars, the deck building game. That sounds great. That sounds like a lot of yeah. fun, despite the fact that I'm not a Star Wars guy. And, yeah, uh, I don't think you'd have to be a Star Wars guy to enjoy the gameplay of this yeah. one, which is yeah. the biggest compliment you can give an IP, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right. We'll move on to number four. My number four is actually one that I picked up when you were with me the other day, and that is the oh, delightful, the lovely uh, Barclay. Sorry, Barclay. just before you go on. Mr. Redcastle has said you don't know the power of the deck side. Thank you, Mr. Redcastle. Victor Redcastle, everybody. He'll be here all week. The deck I'll side. I'll my waitress. Uh, yeah, it's Bark Lane. Uh, Bark Lane is a delightful game, which is in it, – it, it's essentially a dice roll. You have to do uh, – you pick up a dog. You have X amount of turns to do a number of things. Uh, when you finish walking them, you have X amount of turns to walk them home. I'll, or you do I'll not... hold you up here, Jeff. Sorry. This is Bark Avenue that you're talking about. Bark Avenue. Sorry, not Bark Lane. <laughs> I apologize. Bark Avenue. Yeah. Um, Bark Avenue. Um, it is absolutely de like, look at that. It's just delightful. You take dogs for a walk, you make sure they have a poop, you make sure they have a wee, and then you make sure that you um that the, they uh, they they do their favourite activity, be it um, bouncing a ball, uh, going for a run, swimming in water, whatever it is, they do their favourite activity. You make sure they've done all three things and then you drop them home and you get points for it. Uh, there's all kinds of uh, adjusters. So stars will adjust things for you and increase the number of dogs you can control. There are some dogs that like being alone. There are some dogs that like being in packs. It's just beautiful. It's lovely to play. 
It's simple. It's a great family game. And it's another smiling game. It's another Flamecraft, you know, it's another in that group of smiling games. Just wonderful. And credit to Good Games Publishing here, an Australian company that has put out, at the start, I was not a fan of their products. And as time has gone on, I have fallen more and more in love with everything they've put out. At the start, when they put out, I think their first game, um, Monstrous, I was definitely not a fan of. And then since then, they have just been on the up and up. I really like Unfair, which is a production they did. And this looks like it might be their best game yet. So credit to those guys for really seeming to be pushing for better and better with every production. Um, That's a great thing. And even just looking at the cover of this game is a delight, you know? Yeah. Yes, so, it's so beautiful. Awesome. And I think we would have played it on the weekend had I actually popped it, but it was still all still yeah. unpopped. Uh, another, just, just a quick honourable mention that I forgot to mention earlier is Last Light. Last Light is just terrific. It is such an interesting game that plays in a minimal amount of time. So yeah, Designed Last by Light. Roy Canaday of the Dice Tower, I believe. Yes, yes. And he's put a lot of work into it. There is a second edition game. Uh, Game found or Kickstarter coming um, very soon with another expansion. So I think they're offering just the expansion to some, which I'll pick up, and uh, and other stuff. But a wonderful, wonderful game. Anyway, sorry, your number four, three. My number three here. Did you go right? first? No, four. I went second. Yeah, so four. I just did four. Park Avenue. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you, you're absolutely right. My number four. Boy, I am out of it today. Uh, but that's okay. My number four is another Phil Walker Harding game. I mentioned him before. This one, Spellbook. I uh. think Spellbook is an absolute delight where you start with some really basic actions, use those actions to buy more advanced actions with different colors of mana uh, to eventually start speeding your way towards the end of the game when you unlock all your spells. I think this one is just cracking. It's a little game. It's a simple game. You put it out, take a quick teach, and you start playing. Phil Walker-Harding is not designing the most complicated games in the world, but he takes a mechanic and he goes, what's the most efficient way to make this a fun time? And that's what Spellbook is. I think this one's an absolute cracker of a, I guess, a, a light Euro little tableau builder resource management game. Um, really impressed by how much this one gets out of a small game. See, I've got it, and I still haven't got it to the table yet. Just on your recommendation, I went, well, I'm going to get that because it seems fun. Yeah. And I still it's haven't gotten it. To the table. Uh, my number three, my number three is the complete antithesis of that, which is still a lovely game. It's called Rebuilding Seattle. Oh, uh, in yes. Seattle, in Seattle, uh, in the late 1800s, there was a great fire. And basically the entire place burnt down. And um, this game is about you pick a district and you need to rebuild the infrastructure. Everyone will have two special tiles that give them buffs and it's how you connect with those tiles that give you more points at the end. Absolutely wonderful. This was the first game we played at the board game Getaway and two of us picked it up the next night. There are only two copies left, and we picked it up the next night. It is, and I did take this one to Canberra, but again, uh, we decided just not to play something so heavy after after Space Bees. 
I just I just thought this was a great game. Uh, really, really a lot of replayability because the different special buildings will impact the game differently, and it's just terrific. Really and, enjoy rebuilding another Seattle. first time designer here on rebuilding Seattle, Quinn Brander. Uh, it's so exciting to see these great games coming out from people who haven't designed games before. It's so hard. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. It's fantastic. And my numbers two and one, I, I think number one is a, a first-time designer. Number two definitely is. Um, and I think that this is just a lovely game to play, very enjoyable, slightly competitive, but also slightly Tetrisy. So it's kind of almost like you're playing against yourself in some ways. Really good. Well, I'll say that uh, my next couple definitely aren't by first-time designers. This is one by Prospero Hall, who uh, do a brilliant job. Not not just one person, but a game design house that have done some really excellent stuff with IP-based games. And this is another one of those IP-based games. This one is Disney Animated, which really yes, blew my Mitch. socks off this year. A cooperative game that uses... One of my favorite mechanics, uh, or mechanisms, I should say, uh, something that was most recently seen in Ark Nova, uh, which came out of uh, Civilization, I can't remember which Civilization board game, but essentially a row of uh, different action cards, which each have a number, with the most powerful one being at five, and when you take the action, you take mm -hmm. it at that power, and then move that card back to number one and everything else slides up. I love that mechanism because it encourages you to use every action and rotate through them all to be using the most powerful ones, but also encourages you to sometimes not take a move at its quote-unquote optimal strength because it's so useful at the right time. But what Disney Animated does is throw that into a cooperative game where you are all using that same river of actions which means that if i know the next player really needs that action that's at number five it encourages me to take an action that's worse for me because it's better for the whole table i love those decisions in a game i love any game that encourages people to a uh, co-op game that encourages people to think about what is best for the table instead of what is best for the board that's in front of them. And Disney Animated does it in a way that is really beautiful, using some mm. clear cards to put characters on top of backgrounds, polyominoes to create those backgrounds, and some really cool special abilities uh, for each player while creating some classic Disney movies. The inevitable expansions for this are going to be excellent. I cannot wait. I thought uh, Animated uh, by Prospero Hall was absolutely fantastic this year. Speaking of uh, speaking of expansions, I have picked up Marine World, which is the Ark Nova expansion, and very much looking forward to getting that to the table early in the new year, or maybe maybe just before the year ticks over, if I can get a game group going. Uh, my number two is a first time designer within a house that has a lot of uh, designers who are repeated, and that is of course Stone Myers. Wonderful. Space Peaks. Apiary is my number two game of the year. I know what you're thinking, wow, it's a great game. What's number one? That's coming around the corner. Uh, I think this is a terrific game. This is a game that we've already mentioned today. It is about, it's a worker placement game, but the unique aspect of buffing someone up who you move out and making them stronger is just delightful. 
It's easy to play. It's easy to get. Like you and Eric seemed to get it in seconds. You didn't seem to have any issues. No, with how works. to play the game. Yeah, and within two turns, we we were all playing the game. Uh, there are some terrific. I'll, I'll pause you here, Jeff. You can keep talking, but my number two also apiary. Well, wonderful. We have a combined number two. Um, I think that 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 mechanic of like like being able to look through the stack and find the find find the a farm that benefits you most or find a a, a a worker that benefits you most. I love that because I wound up with every three point retrieval in the game as a farm. And it was just hilarious watching you and Eric, you know, every time I'd go, well, I'm going to retrieve my one B, which is a strength one, buff it up oh. and get three more victory points. It's just a great game. It is yeah. easy to play. It is a game that makes you smile. And I love it. I love Apiary. Yeah. One of the things that blew me away with Apiary was how good every possible action is. They're really oh, yeah. It doesn't feel like, oh, well, I kind of have to go here. It never feels like that because no. every space on the board feels like, oh, I really do want to go there, right? Mm. Especially once you get those four power Bs, which get a bonus effect wherever you put them. You get a four yeah. power B in front of you and you go, oh, I want to place this in every damn spot on the board. <laughs> I really I really should go get a carving because I can only do it with a four power B. But also I could put it over there because then that gets me the, oh, but if I put it over there, then I get the bonus for it being a fourth pet. Oh, but I could put it over there and do a dance. It's like, mmm, so delicious. I I really loved my time playing Apiary. Cannot wait my, to get it to the table again. My favourite moment was when you went, oh, yeah, I'm not going to do a dance. It's not worth it. And I just plunked along and pumped. I think I put down, <laughs> give me a water for honey. And I get It was I a get victory points for a honey. I a was like, point. I can't see anything here worth a victory point. And then you put down victory point for a honey. And I ended yeah. up using it like four times. Yeah, you both did. And that's, I mean, oh. that comes with experience because you know you know how to play the game. As I said, it's about my eighth time plus the teacher, Pat. Look, this is a great game. There is no doubt this is a great game. So I'm, I'm glad we kind of agree. All right. Should, do you want to do your number one first or should I? It's, it's, it's your I I'm happy to do my number one. Let me just rearrange the PowerPoint here. My number one is a crowdfunding game that I received when literally arriving back from Canberra the other day. Wow. Right? Got home. The box was there. Cracked it open. I played a game with Mickey and then we lost. It's a co-op game. We lost. Then I turned to Mickey. I said, am I setting the next one up solo or are you playing as well? <laughs> And I went, she said, it's too hot out here. I'm going to go into the air conditioning. And I soaked in sweat, said, that's fine. I'm playing again. Yeah. Uh, this is, and I don't know how much you've heard about this one, Jeff, Daybreak. No, Daybreak is the new game from Matt Leacock, designer of Pandemic. Ah. It is a game about turning the world around from the brink of global warming. So each oh. player plays as either the USA, China, Europe, or the majority world, and they each have a different little setup with a player board, and effectively you have an amount of energy that you've got to produce to keep everyone in your country functioning. You have a bunch of things that are going to produce carbon dioxide, whether that's transportation in your place or agriculture or whatever it is. Mm. 
they're going to produce a bunch of carbon dioxide and the world has a bunch of disasters that are going to keep happening if CO2 levels increase. And then the whole game has a deck of cards that looks like uh, terraforming Mars, where all of the cards have an action that can be done and some tags on them. And most of the cards care about doing something per tag. And you have a little display of five actions in front of you that on your turn, you can do as many times as you want, but they'll be limited by the number of tags in that column. Or they'll be limited by you have to discard a card to do the action. And then all you start doing is doing these actions and playing cards to give yourself new actions or slotting them under a pile to put more of a certain tag on that action and just growing your little play area with new actions, stronger actions. Meanwhile, these disasters are coming down the pipeline you've got to deal with. There's global... uh, global projects that you can spend some of your energy to get going that'll help everyone at the table. And then you go through, the temperature starts to go up. You've got to avoid the temperature hitting the top of the uh, two degrees since uh, 1980, or you'll lose the game. You've got to avoid uh, any one player having 12 communities in crisis, or you'll lose the game. And the only way to survive this game is to go into carbon drawdown which means the amount of carbon that you produce on a turn is less than the amount of trees and oceans and carbon storage on the board, which can pull that carbon dioxide back down. So the game gets worse and worse, but you're also building up these things to deal with the carbon you're producing. You're putting in more clean energy and getting rid of your dirty energy, so you produce less carbon. The card play is incredible. I think that this game is not only a triumph of game design, it's a triumph of production because Mm. every component in this game is made with sustainable resources. The component trays are biodegradable containers. There is no shrink wrap on the box. It's made with stickers to keep it closed during transportation. Everything is made in a way that is sustainable and every card will refer to something that you're gaining the ability to do, whether it's, you know, carbon drawdown or reducing tax havens so that you get more income in the form of cards every turn. And every single card has a QR code on it that you can scan that will tell you all of the rules for that card if you've got any confusion. So if you're like, hang on, how does this card work? You can scan the QR code and find out. Excellent. Also on that QR code is information about what the card represents, what things in the world thematically it is talking about making better, whether it's communities planting trees or these carbon drawdown technologies, and then gives you some recommendations on how you can incorporate that into your everyday life to help the world avoid uh, global warming, as well as other cards in the game that have similar references to them. Wow. Daybreak absolutely blew me away in gameplay and production. I cannot praise it highly enough. I really, truly hope that this gets into the hands of people who are going to rave about it so that it can get out into the hands of gamers because this deserves to be praised from the rooftops. Daybreak is phenomenal. My number one game of 2023. Well, it's interesting because you've chosen a game which is ultimately depressing. You have. Yes. <laughs> this is not a happy Hopeful game. but depressing. Hopeful but depressing. Lachlan, do you remember the very first game I spoke about here? I don't. It's my number one game of the year. It wow. is one of 
the best games I've ever played. It's a long game. It's also quite heavy-handed and a little bit... I know what it is. I know what it is. is, Of course, the excellent... And and anyone who plays it and is a serious gamer loves it. The excellent hegemony. Hegemony is first-time designers who were political science students who decided in in their final um, assignment... What they, they made a board game about society and how society works together and how you can't just have the capitalist class making money without supporting the working class, the middle class, and the state oversees it all. Hegemony is beautiful. Um, the version I've got, of course, is the Kickstarter version, so it has all the deluxe components, the coins, everything. But the thing, the thing about hegemony is ultimately it is depressing. Ultimately... You know, you are you are playing as a class of people. Uh, it, it it is simply fantastic. There is no doubt this game is tricky. It's challenging. It's you know you you are you are playing against yourself, but you're also playing against other players. And all four classes need to work together to have a successful society. Uh, but yet, you don't want to work with anyone else. It's it's quite brilliant. Uh, I was playing my second game where I was the working class and someone lowered wages, so I just went on strike. That it's it's absolutely true. The the game is very very true to what we see in the world, and it's frightening, but it's so wonderful. I'm not going to be arrogant enough to try and say their names. Vanarkas and uh, Vangelis, thank you so much. This game is amazing. And uh, Vangelis, I was about to do it and needed to take a moment. Bagiatarkas, I guess. Yes, uh, they are their names. And this is is just a beautiful game. Uh, It's just so sad. I I wish it wasn't sad. I was listening to the Dice Tower talk about this game and they said something that happened in a game which really sold me on it was that uh, for some reason the government player had to shut down their hospitals and immediately the the private enterprise went, yes, and jacked up their healthcare prices. Yeah. And it's like, wow, what a, what a stark presentation of the world as it is, but also such an interesting economic engine that is running. It's a very... It's a challenge. Uh, there are moments in that game where you sit there and you go, I, my first game was at the capitalist and I'm very, like, I'm not a capitalistic kind of person. And I was like, I, I sucked as being, <laughs> I was horrible at being the capitalist. But, yeah, it was lovely. I think we have consensus, though, on one game. And that was oh, both true. of our number two. Both, both of our number two games. So a I think, really excellent game there. I think our our game of the year for what it's worth and uh listeners i strongly recommend you get a play in it sometime but it's got to be space bees it's got to be apiary and one thing i liked about playing it with you on the weekend is you didn't go oh well you overhyped this no 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 oh you god no. Win. this this is as good as you said it's uh, everything you said it would be and yeah. i was blown away by it i thought it was yeah. so great and uh, I think so god sorry mate Oh, I was just going to say really quickly, I am just at the moment, because obviously I only hear Jeff's top games as he mentions them, so I am putting together exactly what our top five is for the year. But the fact that that was our only crossover over 10 games, we mentioned nine different games there, and all Mm. of them seem to be just brilliant stuff. What an impressive year for games it was this year. A fantastic year for games. And 
like it doesn't look like it's letting up. It looks like the next few years are all going to be as amazing um, with things like uh, Critic Kitchen coming out, with uh, Mordred coming out, with, you know, there's so many great games up and coming. Uh, if you want to find out more, just keep your ears tuned to the Board of Games podcast. But, yeah, I, I think that the fact that we also chose five completely different games from each other. So insofar as the five games yes. we've all mentioned are different to each other as well. Like they all have different aspects and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. It's not just, um, you know, we didn't pick a bunch of engine building games. You know what I mean? No. I just realized that I've listed these backwards. So give me a moment. Yeah, but I, I think that's... Um... Not a problem. Um, I uh, Please bring Daybreak. Daybreak, was that it? Yeah, Daybreak. What a brilliant Daybreak. Please game. bring that to Perth if you're taking luggage. Oh, I will be. I'll, I'll be I'd bringing that everywhere I can go because it is such a cracking game. I'd love to get a game of that and Heat in if you can bring Heat. I'll take a couple as well. Uh, I'm going to be there for a while, so I'm happy to take Nemesis. Oh, God, where will I fit Nemesis? <laughs> <laughs> That's a challenge, isn't it? That is a challenge. So just, it's a very big box game. Just to run through it again, Jeff, your top five, number five, Inside Job, number four, Bark Avenue, number three, Rebuilding Seattle, number two, Apiary, and your number one game of the year, Hegemony. What a cracking top five list. And then just quickly as I put mine in, number five being Star Wars, the deck building game, number four being Spellbook, Number three, Disney Animated. Number two, Apiary. And my number one game of the year, Daybreak. Uh, again, like, not to toot my own horn, what a cracking list. That, like, there's there's nine games there since we crossed over with Apiary, including a bunch of honourable mentions like Last Light, which are just fantastic. Uh, the reason Last Light didn't make my top five, I should tell you, is I've only managed to play it once, and it seems to be the kind of game that you've got to really sort of dig in and play a couple of times to get the full scope of. Yeah, absolutely. But and I'll yeah, I will do I'll do a review of uh last light when we come back in February. There I definitely go. think it's worth saying that, you know, we do not play every game. This is not our job the way it is for some people who do these lists. You know, we get to play games when we get the opportunity to play games and we love doing it, but we are far from having played every 2023 release. So if you, the listener think that there is a game that is obviously missing from our lists, you know what you've got to do. You've got to get on social media and let us know. You can find us at Facebook on, under the name Board of Games Podcast. You can find us at, twi at uh, Twitter at Board of Games Pod. Uh, you can find us here on twitch.tv slash board of games podcast we're starting in february next year we're going to be fortnightly on wednesday night 7 30 australian eastern standard time which will of course be 8 30 australian eastern daylight savings time and make sure you subscribe to everything we do so that you can keep up with what we do you can of course subscribe to board of games wherever you get your podcasts whether that be podcast addict whether that be spotify you can just search for board of games and we will come up and you'll be able to hit that subscribe button 
and get a load of all of our stuff. You can follow us individually, Jeff at Jeff underscore SETI and me at Lachlan Albert as well. If you want to catch us again before the end of the year, we will be talking some wrestling over at Wrestle Radio Australia. So make sure you're following that because we've got two more episodes of that left for the year to talk about what was great in Australian wrestling this year. Jeff, is there anything else we've got to mention before we go? No. No, but what a great list we both came up with, as, as you said, not meant to toot horn, but um, just just a wonderful year of board games. I, I think this has been, uh, you know, when I got into the hobby in 2021, one of the first games I backed was Hegemony, and I'm so glad I did. <laughs> Yeah, perfect timing. Well, it has been a pleasure making Board of Games with you this year, Jeff. Thank you so much for joining me. And until February, enjoy games. Till next time, have a good one. Cheers. The bloody and burger bros, you should go chaos, most wrapped up pandemic K2. Noir ladies and gentlemen, sheriff of Nottingham, stinker redacted and coup.